Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to uh, Romans, the 15th chapter. Very interesting place in the Word of God. Paul is going to compliment the church in Rome. More, more so than, than any other church he has ever complimented apart from the church at Thessalonica. Paul really gives them a great compliment. And some say he did it because he has been so hard on them. We're going to mention this again, but don't miss this. Paul has never been to Rome. He had no dealing in planting this church in Rome. He had not dealt with them. He had not been there to lead their, the people there to Christ. And so he is doing all of this from Jerusalem as he writes to them. And in some of the things he writes to them, he's very firm, let's say. And so he starts off, if you will read with me, please, uh, verses 14 to 19. Romans chapter 15. Look at what he says. In verse 14, And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given to me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, that my offering of the Gentiles might become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, he says in verse 17, In Christ Jesus I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, and in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout as far as Illyricum, I mess that up every service, please forgive me, Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. You know, sometimes I sit up here or stand up here and I take for granted some of the things that we read and some of the things that I say. Um, I want to start this. Well, let me start with prayer. And then I want to tell you what happened last night that just really showed me how, just how much I love you folks. You know, I went overboard last service. I was telling people I love them almost every other word. And the truth of the matter is, I do. I, I, love, you, I love you folks so much, it's, it's, it's hard, hard, hard to express the privilege I have of being here with you in this church. It's just a, a great, great privilege. Some of the things that Paul said about the church in Rome, I say about you all the time. Now, I am not comparing myself to Paul. God forbid. But I am telling you that I understand what he says when he says how much he loved that church. I get to be here with you firsthand. And I get to see what you do. I, I, I've seen what has happened when we've gotten to this building. I've noticed what is taking place. And I absolutely love you with all my heart. 
And I'll tell you what happened yesterday so that I don't forget. Let's pray first. Father, please, would you bless us? And uh, for a reason, Father, the purpose of being blessed is so that we might in return bless you back. And and be, be Father, faithful to the wonderful things that you do for us and through us. You think about the VBS program that's coming up. Our, our kids rock. That we can just, we can be a, 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 a light, Father, to this community for young people. If that's your call upon us, we accept that wholeheartedly, Lord. Would you please allow us to be blessed so we can bless you back in return? And Father, would you open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things that come from your law, so that we would understand the insights, the 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 deeper things of, of you, Father, so that we might be able to understand how to help others in time of need or help our own self, Father, when needed. And would you move me aside so that that might really take place, so that so that we won't hear from my philosophy or or my ideas or my personality would would be such that it would take over what you want to say to each and every one of us. We ask, Father, you bless us, convict us if needed, uh, comfort us for sure, Father, and conform us into the image of your Son. We give you thanks for all things. Father, we just absolutely adore you. We give you thanks for, for Paul and how he has uh, written these things out for us. We, uh, we are honored, Father, to study your word. Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Yesterday, after the service, um, number one, when I, when I go home, like for instance, if Kay isn't at the service, she'll say, how did it go? And I'll say, I don't know. Because <laughs> I don't. I don't really get it. Sometimes I preach and I can say to her, well, to me it was like pure vanilla. I don't, I don't think anything was there to really hold on to. And uh, other times I'll say, well, it seemed to go okay, or whatever. But... Uh, Yesterday, as soon as I was through the message, a gentleman came up to me and said, you say that Paul preaches the gospel. And I said, yes. What's the gospel, he said. That's a very legitimate and very wonderful question. And I just took it for granted that we all understood and knew what the gospel is. And so I took him immediately. We, sat, we, we stood here. I don't remember if we sat or not. It didn't matter. We, we were right here. And we turn on our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians is just to the right. Let's take a look. Because some of you might be saying, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? And others of you know exactly what the gospel is. Well, well Paul doesn't take it for granted that we automatically know. He says to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, Now I make known to you, brethren the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand. And so we see that Paul is saying to them, the gospel is something very important. You received it. You, uh, you, you stand in it. I have preached it to you. Verse 2, though, says, by which, meaning the gospel, also you are saved. So the gospel gives us salvation. If, in fact, he says, you hold fast the word which I preached to you unless you believe in vain. Now, he tells us now, here is the gospel. I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, 
And so what he received from the Lord, when the Lord touched him, the Lord taught him the gospel. So he, he is going to teach what he has received. Number one, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Number two in verse four, that he was buried. Number three in verse four, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And then he mentions from verse 5 on all the people that saw Jesus Christ alive after the crucifixion. And so what we see is the gospel is of first importance that Jesus Christ died for our sins. Secondly, he didn't just die, but he was buried and then he rose from the dead according to the scriptures. That is the basic gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so I, uh, I just assumed that everybody understood or knew what the gospel was, and that shows you how I lack as a teacher. That, you shouldn't assume something as basic as that. Something as basic as that should be taught. It should be understood. And so I'm so thankful for this gentleman that came up to me and said, I don't know what the gospel is. And he helped me more than he'll ever know because it made me stop and think. Go to the basics, John. Always, always, always go to the basics. Let me tell you something. This is a, this is a little bit of a rabbit trail. We'll get into this in a moment. There isn't anyone I don't know that's of any, that, that is of any I want to say value, but that's a bad word to use in this context. But, but someone who's worth their weight and salt will always go to the basics. Basics is critical. Especially for athletes. Now, that I know. That I know. I know athletics. When I was with the Dodgers the first year, we have in, in, in the Dodgers team, there was, a, there was the dugout. You know, the dugout's where all the guys are before they go on the field and, take, and go... Their bats and all their stuff are in there. Then there was a, a long, long ramp that went up into the, the, into the building underneath the stadium. And uh, that long ramp led up into the locker room. And the locker room was off to the left where all of us dressed. Right up to the top of the, that, that ramp that went up there, there was this huge mirror. It was, uh, it was walled to ceiling. It was wide as could be. And guys used to stand in front of that mirror and swing their bat. And they would, they would go to the basics. If they were pulling out too fast, they would stand there and they would take batting practice. Or, or they would throw. This was before we had all those technology, before there was like films and stuff like that. Guys can go up there right now and they can see their last at bat. As soon as it's over with, they can go up and, and see it on a computer. Well, I went up the ramp, and as I got to the top of the ramp, Don Drysdale. Now, I don't know if you know that name, but trust me, he was outstanding. He was one of the great competitors that I had ever played any sport with ever in my life. And he was off to a very, very slow start. He wasn't doing very well. And he was standing in front of that mirror, and he was sweating as if he had ran a, a, a few miles. He was, he was just perspiring right through his, his workout gear. He wasn't pitching that day. And he was in front of that mirror, and he was throwing. And he had a sidearm motion, and he was throwing, and he was 
throwing an imaginary ball, and he was watching himself in that mirror. And I said, Don, what you doing? He says, I'm just trying to find out my basics. He says, I'm getting hit. And he says, I'm doing something that's tipping my pitches off. And I don't know what it is. And he says, I said, how long have you been up here? He says, since the game began. I'm telling you, folks, it was the middle of the game. It was He had been up there an hour, an hour and a half, throwing, throwing at this imaginary thing and just trying to find out what he has done to make himself back to the basics so that he wouldn't be hit anymore by guys. And it was the most amazing thing I ever saw. This guy was going to be in the Hall of Fame. He was phenomenal, and yet he went right back to the basics so that he would be the pitcher that he was supposed to be. Whenever we went to spring training, though all the years I was with the ball club, we would always go to the basics. Always the basics. Same thing ought to be true with you and me in our faith. Go to the basics. Understand the basics of our faith. Why you believe what you believe. So that you are rock solid in your basics of your faith. And so that's, what, that's what's happening. That's what happened here last night. A gentleman came up to me and said, What is the gospel? And I mistakenly assumed everyone, everybody knew. And I was so thankful for him. Don't ever be afraid to ask a question about what is being said so that you can understand fully what God is saying to you. Okay, we read already and we prayed already, didn't we? Yeah. Let's, let's take a look. We start in verse 14 by Paul saying this, I am concerning you, brethren. I am convinced. Now, Paul, some question whether Paul is trying to be politically correct here by saying to the church in Rome anything, something that will make them feel good about themselves. Well, to anyone that might think that's what Paul is doing here, building them up for no apparent reason, you've got to remember that these words are not just Paul's alone. Paul, like anyone who wrote within the Word of God, was inspired by God. These are God's words to us. That's why it's so important that we read and we study through it line upon line, word after word. God has given us these words to understand it. And so Paul is saying, some say that Paul was trying to be politically correct with the church in Rome when that is, that is impossible because in 2 Timothy, and I'm going to repeat this verse to you again later in the, in the service. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, we are taught that all in Scripture, all Scripture, I've did this every service, all Scripture is inspired by God. All of it is God-inspired. And so it is therefore, it says in 2 Timothy 3.16, it is profitable. It is profitable for teaching. It is profitable for reproof. It is profitable for correction. It is profitable for training in righteousness. And so these are not Paul's words alone. These words were inspired by God and Paul wrote them down to the church in Rome. And God would not be one to say something just for the effect. And so number one, it appears that Paul 
is giving a defense, if you would, for the boldness of his teaching them in Rome. And why? Because he is speaking to a church that he did not plant, a church that he has not visited yet. He has not led the bulk of them, if any, to Christ. And so he is encouraging them over what he has said to them because he is confronting them quite firmly on some personal issues, not even knowing them. If you, you and I have been studying through this. We've, we've seen him say in chapter 14, in part of chapter 15, that the stronger brothers and sisters in Christ ought to care for those who are weaker in their faith. He has taught them that. He has admonished them in chapter 6, verses 11, 12, and 13, saying that you are to consider yourselves, you in Rome, you're to consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. He says, don't let sin reign in your, in your body that you should obey its lusts. Rather, present yourselves to God, he tells them, as instruments of righteousness to the Lord. He also reminded them in, in chapter 8, verse 9, that you are not of the flesh, he says. You are of the Spirit. If indeed, he says, the Spirit of God dwells within you. But if everyone, anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him. Paul has taught them all along that to come to have the Spirit of Christ living within you is that takes place when you by faith ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. There's no shortcuts to that. But there are no additional things that need to be done to be saved. Paul was telling them you are saved by the grace of God and that through faith and faith alone. And so he says to them, you are not of the flesh anymore. You are of the Spirit. Then he warned him in chapter 12, verse 3, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. In other words, because of the Spirit of God who dwells within you, and because, as it says in Ephesians, you are Christ, you are God's workmanship, you have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has already prepared beforehand, so that you should walk in them. VBS, it's already prepared. The things that you're going to do, God has already prepared for you. All He asks you to be is available if you have the time and that you can be a part. God has already have the success for you in that, in that ministry. All He asks of you and me is our time. Therefore, don't, for the good sake of God Almighty, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. It's not you who are doing it. He's already done it for us. And so if you're back to Romans, if you were in chapter 1 at all, uh, if you go back to Romans chapter 15 and you look at verse 15, he says to them, I want to remind you again, look at that, it's really an interesting statement. But I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again. In other words, he is implying that he's not teaching them things that they had never heard of before. He's just reminding them of truth that they knew. It's exactly what I do. Again, I am not, by any stretch of the imagination, comparing myself to Paul. But what I am saying is that anyone that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ is just refreshing your memory of things that you learned in, when you were in kids' camp. 
you learned when you were in church as a, as a youngster. And we were just reminding you of those things that you already know so as to refresh your memory, so as to encourage you as an adult to walk with Christ in the fullness of who He is in your life. And so Paul says, I remind you again. And it is here in verses 15 through 19 that Paul adds his own personal ministry, his own personal call. Perhaps, just perhaps, he is trying to explain again why he spoke so boldly to them and, and encouraged them again and again by what power, by what authority is he doing this? If, if you might remember, in, in, in chapter 1, in verse 1, Paul came to them and he says, I am a bond servant of Christ. That's how he in, introduced himself. I'm a bond servant of Christ. I have been called as an apostle, he said in chapter 1, verse 1. And he says, I also have been set apart for the gospel of God. And so Paul is just reassuring them that he comes to them not on his own authority, but on the authority of our Lord. Most likely because of verse 15. He says, to, I have written to you very boldly. In other words, he doesn't want them to think that he's insensitive or he's unloving. He wants them to believe that he, is, he has their best in mind. And I think, I think that's what any pastor, any preacher would want to do. To, to, to make the people convinced that, that, that what happens from here, that, that whatever takes place from here that goes forth to us in the congregation is for our benefit, not for that benefit of that person behind that podium. And that that person behind that podium is not trying to um, chastise or, or anything to anyone uh, purposefully, but really just trying to encourage to build up, to, to get us to feel that, you know, I can do this. I, I, I can walk with Christ. In, in chapter 1, in verse 10, Paul says, uh, well, no, in verse 8, he says, I thank my God through Christ for you all. I, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've done that. How many times I've thanked our Lord for you guys. He says in verse 10, always in my prayers, making requests, if, if perhaps now... At last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. He hasn't, he hasn't been there yet. He's not been to Rome yet. But he's praying for them all the time. I, I, I'll give you a little insight on, on me for, for us as a body of believers. I'll I tell you this. I know that many of you pray for me. I know that. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I want you to know that I pray for you as well. I might not pray for you personally because I might not know each of you by name or each of you personally, but I guarantee you I pray for you. I pray for our church as a whole. I used to be very irritated. I'll tell you what's really strange. Some of you will get this. As you get older, you don't sleep all the way through the night all the time. It's, it's really the pit. I'm telling you, we're the ones that need the rest. <laughs> well, I'm up. Last night, I guarantee you, I saw every hour. I saw 12, 1, 2, 3, 4. Got up. And for those of you that are older, know why I got up. Anyways, I got up. <laughs> I got up, and I used to be irritated. No more. Now I believe that's God waking me up to pray for you guys. 
And so when I get up during the night, I pray for my family. I pray for my loved ones. I pray for someone that, that asks me to pray for them. I had the most interesting call this week. I mean, I, I, I kind of pray that you have this call sometime in your life, or maybe not. I'll let you be the judge. I have a dear friend. At one time, he, uh, he was pretty wild, very, very alcoholic, uh, very wild, very, very wild. And uh, he and I are, we're, we're, have always been great friends. He called me up the other day and said, how you doing? I said, I'm great. How are you? He said, oh, not so good. I said, what's up? He said, well, he says they just found something that uh, Tuesday they're going to have to have, I'm going to have to be operated on for eight, eight hours. There, there's something wrong with my aorta. I don't know what all he told me because I was kind of in shock when he told me. And he said, uh, i just calling you to pray for me. And uh, if Carolyn calls you next week, I want you to know, the people that will come to my funeral, they're, they're a very strange group of people. <laughs> he says, uh, very strange. He never said to me, do my funeral. Never said do my funeral. He said, they're very strange, and you're going to you're gonna have to know you're talking to a lot of different, different people. And so if Carolyn calls, that's what you're going to do. If I call, let's go to breakfast. <laughs> I, I hung up from that, and I just called him this morning again. I, I couldn't get him off my mind last night at 1, 2, 3, 4. I was praying for him and you, and uh, I, I thought, you know, if he's going Tuesday, maybe he'll let me take him to lunch or, or breakfast on Monday. But that's, I get what Paul said. Always praying. Always praying for you. He says in verse 11 of chapter 1, I long to see you talking to the people in Rome so that I might impart some spiritual gift to you. But verse 12 is, is, is an amazing verse in chapter 1. We studied it already, but it is the very core of what we are and who we are as a body of believers. The Rock Community Church, we are at core, verse 12. Listen to what Paul wrote. He says, I want some spiritual gifts so you might be established. That is, he said that I, Paul, may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. The very core of church is that we encourage one another. Your gift, your gift, my gift, our gifts all help one another. We all are needed to build up the body of Christ and your gift, though you might think it not so important, God gave it to you. Therefore, it is of extreme importance. And your gift is needed by someone maybe on this side of the aisle or maybe someone who came to the 9 o'clock service or someone who came last night, Saturday night. And their gift might be useful for you. And we all do this together. And so Paul says that I might be encouraged together with you, each of us by each other's faith, both yours as well as mine. And then he goes and tells them, so I am eager, verse 15 of chapter 1. Remember he said, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Because, he says in verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God to everyone for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew as well as to the Gentile or the Greek. Because in it, in the Gospel, in the Gospel of our Savior, the righteousness of God is revealed 
from faith to faith. In other words, way back when God said to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to go and I will build you a great nation. I want you to go and do that. And Abraham went and to him it was reckoned as righteousness. His trusting in God from faith to faith, Paul writes, as it is written, the righteous person shall live by faith. And so what we see is Paul exposing his heart and his soul to the people in Rome in chapter 1 as well as now here in chapter 15. And Paul is doing this, I believe, because he so forcibly spoke to them, having never been there, they had never seen him. He did not plant that church. I don't believe that Paul wanted to jeopardize his relationship with that church by the time he got there as them thinking him insensitive or unloving. He longed to visit them, but he hadn't been there yet. But he says, by your faith, yours and mine, that's how faith works. That's how this church works. As you look in chapter 15 ahead next week, we'll see that Paul gets there on his way to Spain. Look what it says in verse 22. For this reason, I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now, with no place further for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you, to you in Rome, whenever I go to Spain, in passing, I will come to visit you. I just added those words to it. That was his dream of which he got to Rome. So Paul wrote them with full apostolic authority, introducing himself as an apostle of Christ, set apart for the gospel of God. Yet, this is why I love Paul so much, yet, through the writing of Romans, in chapter 7 and 8, Paul allowed them to see that he was just like them. In other words, Paul allowed them to see that he was a sinner saved by the grace of God just like any one of them. Remember what he said? Wretched man that I am, who's going to set me free? There is therefore, he says, no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. He joined in with them. You've got to love Paul, folks. you got to. He was a brilliant man, I'm certain. Boy, he was a humble man. Now, I want to look again with you at verse 14, and we're going to close very shortly. But I want you to see the importance of verse 14. So take a look with me, and let's take note. He called them, in verse 14, brethren. In other words, they were a part of the family of God, of which he was a part of that same family. He says, I myself also am convinced. He's used this language before. I am convinced of something about you. That you yourselves, verse 14, are full of goodness. That word goodness translates to mean having high moral character. In other words, they had a, an understanding of what it meant to be good by the structure or what was written within these pages. How do we know that? Because of what he says next. He says you are not only full of of goodness, high moral character, but you are filled with all knowledge. Paul is not speaking about human knowledge here. Paul is speaking about the knowledge which comes from the truth of the Word of God. And so he says your moral character 
is very wonderful because of your full understanding or knowledge of these things that are written within these pages. Therefore, he goes on to say in verse 14, you are able also to admonish one another. That word, this is the only time I'm going to use the Greek word. The Greek word is N-O-U-T-H-E-T-E-O. To admonish means to carry the idea of to encourage or to warn or to advise one another. In this context, Paul is saying, because you have high moral character, because you have full knowledge of this, the Word of God, you therefore can encourage one another, can warn one another, can advise one another, counsel one another in spiritual and moral issues. I feel compelled to say this. The other two, three days, four days ago, I don't know now, my wife went out with a friend. There, uh, let me just say, so that you won't know who it is, it's, they don't go to this church. So we can't figure it out. It's not important that you figure it out, except I just don't want to gossip. I just want to tell a story that, is, that, is, that means about counseling or advising or warning. I spent my life in the locker room. I spent my life understanding uh, what it means to hang around with with people of, of different ethnic groups of, of all the kind. And this, this person that my wife went out with, they had the most glorious time. And there, I'll tell you this much as a, as a boy, their son is a high, high-class athlete. He's, one, he's really got the gifts to be very, very good. And he plays on a traveling team that is uh, predominantly African-American kids, African-American athletes that play on this team. And he, because he is so doggone good, has bridged that gap. And he has become friends with all these guys so much so that they told him that he can call them by the N-word anytime he wants to. So she told my wife that. I almost broke my back when she said that. I said, get on the phone, call her. He can't do that. He can't do that. It's not that they have not accepted him. It's not that they don't allow him not to do that. It's that he can't say that for fear of, of who might hear that or who might overhear him saying that and it could absolutely ruin his career. Absolutely ruin it. I've, my greatest friend on the face of this earth and the ministry was Kenny Hutchinson. For those of you that knew him, you know what a blessing he is. For those of you that don't, he was an African-American man that played in the NFL. He never gave me the right to call him by the N-word. He never would have. We never discussed it. It was not an issue. And so because of understanding and, and warning and advising and counseling, I, I asked my wife, please get on the phone and tell this person to tell their son, don't do that. Don't do that. Because... There are certain things that, I don't know how to say it even, but there are certain things that you just, you just don't do. Certain things you just don't do. And you love and you honor people. And if they give you the right to say something, doesn't mean that you must take it. Does that make sense? Enough said, isn't it? I just, it just was an example that was real fresh in my mind about the idea of being able to admonish another believer by 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 helping them, encouraging them, warning them, 
advising them. You see, tragically, I'll get back to this issue of warning or counseling. Many Christians today do not counsel properly. That's why I, I do love uh, uh, the Slazaks. I absolutely do. Because I know by what reason and how and why they counsel. By using the Word of God. You see, there are tragically people who try to counsel by telling you the philosophy of this world. And the philosophy of this world is absolutely garbage. It is absolutely garbage, folks, for those of us who know the Lord. The only real true counseling that we have is what Paul reminded the people in Romans. They were full of goodness. They were filled with knowledge. They were therefore able to admonish one another. But sometimes we go to people who are not knowledgeable of the Word of God and we get counseling that sometimes is not inspired. It, 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 it can take us off into religious heresy, religious untruth. No, if, if you and I ever get into a position where we are trying to counsel someone and it goes beyond what we know, we should immediately get that person into a good Christian, good gifted Christian counselor. Not try to take them on a road that we don't know. You see, every problem there is in your life and in my life, apart from physical, every problem spiritual. You need to understand that. To not say that every problem is, 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 is spiritual limits the power of God's Word and the Holy Spirit. We must never, ever limit sin, sin nature, our sin nature, and we must never, never limit the, the power of Satan and his hold on this world. And so, when you are counseling, it's not so much you or me that is counseling. No, it is the Word of God. That's why I said to you a while ago that in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture, not all teachers, but all Scripture is inspired by God. It is profitable for teaching. It's profitable for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The reason we understand that is verse 19, if you look at it again. The power and the signs. Look, Paul says the power of signs and wonders and the power of the Spirit, not the power of Paul, the power of the Spirit, which at the end of verse 19, he fully preached the gospel. That was the power. The power was the Spirit-led Word of God that changed lives. And so Paul says concerning this, Look at verses 18 and 19. It's what I love about Paul. I mean, love about Paul. He says, I, I will not presume to speak anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and by deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and Around about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel 
Paul is saying that all that he did was done by Christ through the Holy Spirit, and Paul is boasting in the Lord, not in himself. He is not boasting in what he has accomplished. He is boasting of what God did through him. Same thing you and I should do. I can only say to what Paul says, humbling himself in front of the people in Rome and us. Amen, Paul. Amen. That's a, that should be a, a theme in your life and my life. Anything and everything that happens in your life or my life that is of any value has been given to you and me from God. And He wants to use you. He does. I say to you, He already has used us as a church. I love you more than you'll ever know. I love you more than you'll ever, ever know. Thank you for being a... Thank you for bringing health to this place, this body, this wonderful building. Thanks. Father, thank you for uh, for Paul. Thank you that uh, I think that our church emulates, Father, what he is talking about there in Rome. I believe that we're becoming a church full of, of goodness, filled with your knowledge, Father, and able to admonish, encourage, counsel, warn, teach anybody and everybody. And Father, may we take what we learn here and, and and apply it to these young people that sang up here this morning. Father, let them not go and skip a generation of hearing the wonderful news of Jesus Christ so that they can formulate a, a trust and a belief in Him at a very young age. I pray You'll watch over each of them. Us too, Father. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.